0: Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Such well-known words, of course, taken from Isaiah chapter 9. But what do they really mean, Colin? Well, uh, in the first part of the verse, we skipped over, you remember, the... um, phrase, the government will be upon his shoulders. And I said I I wanted to link that with this latest statement. So let's just take the two statements together. The government will be on his shoulders and of the increase of this government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus came with the gospel of the kingdom of God. He began his preaching ministry by saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Now, what does it mean to say the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand? It means the kingdom is now within your reach. I have now made the kingdom of God, or I have come to make the kingdom of God accessible to you. And Jesus made clear to the Jewish a leader, Nicodemus, that you have to be born again to even see this kingdom. Uh, it's not possible to be part of this kingdom without being born again, being born of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, Jesus in coming and preaching um, about the kingdom demonstrates that the kingdom is now a present reality as well as a future hope, that we only just begin to see uh, and to participate in the life of God's eternal kingdom, uh, while we're here on earth. Of this kingdom, there will be no end. It's an eternal kingdom, as we everlasting kingdom, as we read in the prophecy of Daniel. Now, uh, what does it this kingdom mean? Well. Literally, it's the rule and the reign of God. It's not a place, it's where God reigns, where he rules, where, in other words, he has his government. So who belongs to the kingdom of God here on earth now? Those in whose life Jesus Christ is able to govern. That's really what it means, that when you surrender your life to Jesus in order to be born again, you place your life under his government. He, therefore, becomes the Lord of your life. He is your master. He is your king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. So you are now to be governed by him but he's not going to force you as uh, in his government. He's not going to force you to do his will. What he wants is for you to willingly and lovingly obey what he tells us, tells you to do so that you are governed by love and respond in love to that government. Now, Jesus, demonstrated the government of God in the way that he governed over sickness. He governed over the devil. He governed even over death itself when he raised Lazarus, for example, but also, of course, by his own resurrection from the dead. So we see this government of God is supernatural and it has power over whatever goes on in our natural world. Now, remember, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's just put that another way in the light of this verse. May your government come, may your will be done on earth in the lives of those who believe in you, just as. Your will is done in heaven by those who belong to you. So it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth that uh, we are part of that kingdom and that Jesus is the one who is governing in our lives and he always will. And the second statement in, at the beginning of verse 7, the increase of his government, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. His government is being extended all the time. And will go on extended. And will go on extended. You you look at the world, and you know Jesus said the whole world is under the power of the evil one. That is abundantly obvious by all the sin and the evil, the wickedness that goes on in the world. Uh, but... More and more and more people are being saved every day. Thousands of people around the world are being saved. Tens of thousands every day are being saved. God is increasing his government. The kingdom of God is spreading. Uh, even where there's persecution, or perhaps we should say, especially where there is persecution, as in China, for example, it's now reckoned that there are a million underground churches, uh, And probably 10 to 15 um, uh, millions of of people a year are coming. I mean, millions of people are coming to Christ in China every year. Millions. And uh, you see, God is increasing his government. Now there, there there is a a very harsh, um, totally ungodly secular government in that nation. But even where that is the case, you cannot stop God's government from growing, increasing, and extending. It's wonderful. It's almost the case that where there is a greater resistance and persecution that the kingdom spreads even faster. It seems to be one of those anomalies. Yes, and, and I think that's because Christians really have to uh, face up to what it means to be a Christian. So nothing, nobody can stop this you, you can't. Anything. I mean, there are, you don't have superficiality in situations like that, do you? And so much in Western Christendom is very superficial, you know. It's comfortable Christianity. Well, there's, there's nothing comfortable in countries where there's persecution. And of course, in the time of the New Testament, uh, there was persecution. And uh, it was dangerous f- in for several Periods, different periods of time within the New Testament period, it was dangerous to be a Christian. Your life was literally in danger, and of course, most of the apostles were were martyred; they were executed. So, um, even Paul, of course, was leading a crusade before he became a Christian against the church to imprison and kill believers. So, you know, it was dangerous right from the beginning. But the church has always prospered where there's danger, because people have to really depend upon God and count the cost of what it means to be a true disciple of the Lord Jesus. But in this this phrase in chapter 7 of Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Remember, we were talking yesterday about Jesus being the prince of peace and saying how he has brought us back to peace with God so we can live in unity with God and be at one with God, so just as His government increases, so those who are living at peace with God is also increasing all the time. And um, you know what? One of the one of the questions that in times of revival in past centuries were often asked of people. Uh, I I quite like, Uh, people were asked, have you made your peace with God? Um, It's another way of saying, have you been born again? Are you really a Christian? Do you know the Lord? I mean, all these questions add up to the same thing, really. But it's a lovely way of putting it. Have you made your peace with God? And I've found... Uh, preaching in evangelistic situations—that's a concept that's very, very powerful when, when the Holy Spirit causes you to to use it. Um, and it—it's it, a phrase, you see, that speaks of commitment to Jesus being much more than a decision it's much more than putting your hand up at a meeting or coming forward and just having someone pray for you because in in those days of old they didn't do that they had people coming and they they would kneel at the penitence bench and they would they would weep under the conviction of their sins and they would pray what they called pray through Pray through to the place where you knew you had peace with God, where you knew that all your sins were forgiven, where you knew you were totally accepted by him, where you knew that you were just in his love. Have you made your peace with God? Wonderful, wonderful way of looking at what it means to be a Christian. And then, of course, having made your peace with God, to live in that peace. One of the things that God has said to me a number of times over the years is, do not let anyone or anything steal your peace. You know, the devil is a thief who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. The first thing he will attack in a Christian is his peace. He'll try to get us anxious, try to get us disturbed, try to get us concerned, try to get us unbelieving because of a difficult situation or a trauma that has happened, anything to disturb that peace. Why? Because he has no peace himself and he will never be at peace with God. But through the Prince of Peace, we can live at peace with him. You've been listening to Faith for Today presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com.